Hey, what is up, Mile Higher homies? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 113. Today, we are here with another true crime episode for you guys, and it's one of our most requested and probably one of the most infamous cases of all time, and that is the Jody Arias and Travis Alexander case. Yeah, this is one that we've been wanting to cover for a while, and it's just a crazy, crazy story. It really is. Yeah, so we got a lot to dive into with that, but... I'm surprised we we haven't covered it yet, honestly. Yeah, I know. It's one of those that's super, super well known. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm really excited to dive into that. Me too. But before we get into all of that, I just had a few announcements to make. First of all, I wanted to remind everybody I did start a new podcast called Lights Out. Yes. It's a dark take on a paranormal true crime type of show. I cover a lot of like serial killers, hack and slash type cases, as well as hauntings, demonic possession. And most recently, we've got the Oklahoma city bombing, which we covered. Um, so if you're interested in that kind of stuff, definitely check out lights out. I host it with my brother, Joel and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And you guys are doing Elisa lamb this week, right? Yes. Kind of taking another look at the Cecil hotel and everything. Yeah. We're looking at the history of it in depth and why I believe that that hotel is definitely haunted. So yeah, we're diving deep into that this week. So make sure you look out for new episodes every Friday on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Also, we wanted to remind you guys that our 420 collection is still available for purchase, but won't be available for much longer. So if you're interested in getting anything from that collection, be sure to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. As soon as we sell out of everything, it's we're not going to restock it because we got more things coming up for the mm-hmm. summer, hopefully mm-hmm. a summer drop coming soon. So definitely check out malhar.com if you haven't already to see if you want any of that tie-dye merch. But before we get into news this week, I wanted to thank our sponsors today, Quip and Organifi, for supporting the show. But let's go ahead and get into news this week. So the first story that we have has to do with a virus-proof suit that's being developed by an L.A. company called Production Club that allows you to stay safe from everybody else's germs and potentially allow us to stay safe in crowded situations that we used to not protect ourselves from, like going to clubs and concerts and just... Mm -hmm. Areas with large crowds of people. So, oh, especially clubs and concerts where everyone's drunk and like spitting all over each other, and you're so close and there's sweat everywhere. Yeah, and you're like rubbing up against each other. Oh, the idea of going back to a club really grosses me. I don't know if I'll ever be able to do it now that I'm so aware of germs and people's germs that are coming off of them and water droplets. It's just disgusting. Yeah, I know. And especially since, I mean, I think it's going to be a long time before this virus is is wiped out completely. So, how are we going to be able to? go back to a normal life and enjoying sports events and all of these places where, you know, we come in close contact with each other. So, so this is a half body suit. Yeah. It's like a half body suit that looks almost like a little space suit really. Cause it's got like it a clear shell. They call it the micro shell is what the actual suit concept is called. And basically it protects you from, you know, germs and it filters the air and everything. There's actually a video clip of it that will show that kind of just gives you a better idea of what it looks like with somebody wearing it. So the makers of this suit said that it covers roughly the top third of the body and it features cut resistant fabric, an air filtration helmet, a clear shield for good visibility, wireless voice communication, a video camera, and of course an accompanying smartphone app. And apparently this suit will light up based on your mood as well. So for example, a rainbow lighting chase effect will go across your suit to express joy while a static red light would express like, I'm busy, like don't talk to me. (laughs) That's so weird. And not only that, they've designed it so that you can still have a drink 
or smoke while inside the suit. So it's like a party suit. Yeah, exactly. Can you hotbox the suit? I assume you can because there's like these little chambers that are in the front of it where you actually like bring stuff up into it so you can consume it. And I assume like you could smoke in it and then shut the chamber closed and just be (laughs) like fogged out inside of the, the helmet. They really made it look very pretty, like the design of it. There's so many different colors on it. It seems like they're definitely trying to hit that crowd that would wear this out and like make it cool. Right. Like go to a club or something. Yeah. Not look like a total idiot if everybody was wearing this. I still feel like you'll look like a total idiot wearing this though. I just cannot imagine actually wearing this or having a bunch of people wear it. Like it sounds good in, you know, to talk about, but is everyone going to want to wear these things and how expensive these must be expensive, right? I don't think they've come out with a price yet, but I'm sure it won't be cheap, but they specifically designed it to be a half body suit because they wanted people to be able to go to the bathroom still. Okay. And have sex if they want to. So (laughs) while we're in the suit priorities here, exactly. (laughs) So I don't know. I just think there's going to have to be something. I I don't think things are going to go back to exactly how they were before this pandemic, but this this is is cool for people with money. But I mean, for the rest of the world, this isn't very realistic. It's not something we can get on everybody. I don't know. Yeah, it's a cool idea. I wonder if this was in the works before shit hit the fan or if they just, you know, came up with this because of. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's because of the pandemic that they started designing this. Well, it's just a concept. Oh, okay. It's a concept. They haven't made it yet or hasn't been tested Mm -hmm. by anybody. But yeah, that makes sense. It's trying to solve the problems of the future, right? Like we got to figure out how, how are we going to be able, you know, we're going to have to wear masks or, you know, are we going to really be able to enjoy ourselves that way? So this is just so weird. Like when you go out to a concert, you want to pick out a cute outfit and look good. And now you have to put a stupid suit over it. (laughs) Well, I feel like if it is, maybe it'll become customizable where you can kind of customize what you want your suit to look like. So that if Mm. you're really into raving per se you can kind of customize it to fit that theme or if you're you know more of an older class citizen and you're looking for something more sophisticated you can <laughs> sophisticated <laughs> suit a sophisticated suit you know you can have design it to be that you can have that like a plaid wild. suit or a neon suit or yeah oh my gosh i, I hope we don't have to you know go to this type of life it would be nice if we can get a vaccine and get back to normal i really hope so you know? because all of us, I think, are missing, you know, going to concerts oh, and yeah. going out yes. to public spaces. And yeah, I was just telling Janelle the other day, like how much I regret not, you know, going out and at least going out to a club once in January. <laughs> like I haven't done anything this whole year. I didn't know I was I had limited time to go out and do that type of thing. So I miss it. We all do. So hopefully things get back to normal. But the next thing I wanted to talk about is the murder hornets. Oh, great. The other problem of 2020. These things are nasty, man. Really nasty. They're huge. I'm they're, sure most of you have heard of this and have seen them. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not a new thing uh, by any stretch. They're actually from Asia, Japan, China, that part of the world. But they've somehow made their way to the U.S. actually. And they're about 1.5 to 2 inches long. They're actually called Asian giant hornets. They're the largest hornet species in the world. And the reason why they're called murder hornets is because, I mean, they, they murder shit, but <laughs> they could kill a human if you get stung enough. Mm. One, one sting won't kill you, but if enough mm. of, like if you were to come upon one of their hives, which their hives are on the ground. Oh. So you could walk into one of their hives and not even really know it. You know, you could step on one, break it open oh and then gosh. get attacked by attack a swarm and kill you. It could. Wow. Yeah. If you get stung enough, because the sting from these things are, are nasty. 
Yeah, I'm sure a lot of you have watched that video. What's the guy that... I think his name's Coyote Peterson or something yeah, like that. something like that. Yeah. He had one of these murder <laughs> hornets and he like held tweezers and stung himself with it. And he looked like he was in so much pain, dude. There's no way you could even pay me enough money to do that. Yeah, and it's significantly more painful than a bee sting or just sure. a regular hornet sting. I wonder if you're allergic to regular bees like I am, if it would just kill you. Yeah, it might. I mean, that's why that guy had an EpiPen ready just, yeah, in, just case in case he had a bad reaction because it can send you into... Uh, anti, what is it? Something, sh Anaph some type of shock. I can yeah. never pronounce that word yeah. either. Anaphylactic, anaphylactic <laughs> shock. Something I think it's like anaphylactic shock. Yeah. It's sure. Something like that. Yeah. Something I should like probably that. know, <laughs> but anyway, but the real problem with having these hornets over here is that they tear the heads off bees like honeybees yeah. and then they carry them back to their young and feed them, uh, the heads. And there's Just a real the issue with, I mean, we already have a bee situation where we're there's not enough bees yeah, anymore. Their population has been majorly endangered. So having these hornets, if they start spreading around the United States could really have devastating effects on not only the bee population, but just the environment as a whole. Cause as we all know, bees play an important role in our ecosystems and plants and, and all of that. So, so for gears, we didn't have any record of a murder hornet being in, in America, but now there's now spotting. we've spotted them in Washington state is the only place that we know of wow. that they exist right now in the U S and they've, I think there's two separate sightings that they've seen them um, as well as in Vancouver, Canada. So Amazing. in that area of the country right now is where we're finding them. So hopefully they don't make their way across the U S because and expand their population. Cause that could be detrimental to the entire bee population. I wonder if they're going to try to do anything to slow down their population or stop them. I think they are. I mean, they're going to try to, you know, control them and, you know, eliminate them because I mean, they're an invasive species yeah. that was brought here probably illegally f for mm -hmm. somewhat, you know, in some way. So I think I was reading about, um, their lifespan is only, I'm not sure how, how long it is, but the whole idea is to try and, you know, allow them to kind of go through their lifespan right now and then not reproduce and have another, you know, whole nother set of them come in exactly yeah, yeah we mm -hmm. want to try and nip it in the butt now is the pro is the thought so how do you do that i have no no idea. sex right murder exactly. hornets very bad <laughs> murder hornet birth control yeah gotta put them on the nuvering <laughs> experts are actually saying that you should ex use extreme caution if you do see an asian giant hornet or anyone that's allergic to bee or wasp stings should never approach an asian giant hornet and if you do see one, especially if you live outside of Washington, you are asked to contact your agricultural department for your state in order to report the sighting so that they can start tracking it and mm -hmm. deal with it. Hopefully, if you can figure out, you know, where their on. nest is or whatever. So, yeah, can, and you'll know if you see one. I mean, these motherfuckers are huge. They're enormous. Yeah. They compared so to scary. a normal wasp. So, yeah, hopefully I never see one. But there was this viral video that went around of a praying mantis going against it yeah and yeah the praying mantis one of course ate it ate its head just like it would do to its mate yeah they eat their brain Lights. yeah praying mantises use like their long arms to wrap it around it and then they mm -hmm. hold like hold it far enough away from them so the whole hornet can't, can't sting it. it yeah and then they just go to town on their brain and eat it alive it's like wild. it's crazy we'll link the video below if you guys want to see it because it's pretty interesting yeah. if you're we love to watch bugs versus praying mantis any type of bug because yeah. they always lose praying That's mantises why, are so yeah. cool 
and it's freaky and scary. <laughs> yeah, because we talked about before how a lot of people say that maybe there's an alien species that's praying mantis. Ooh. Whistleblowers say yeah. that. So who I don't want to run into one of those, man. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? That would be scary. Especially if I they act they're not anything like that. like that. Yeah. Yeah, or else we're getting our brains eaten. <laughs> oh my god, that's crazy. But the last story that we wanted to talk about has been a story that's just blown up, and rightfully so, because this is just absolutely heartbreaking heartbreaking and tragic what happened to a young man named Ahmad Arbery. So for those that don't know, Ahmad Arbery was a 25-year-old young man who went for a routine afternoon jog on Sunday, February 23rd through Satilla Shores, Georgia, which is a neighborhood that's located a town over from where he lived in Brunswick. And what basically happened is that two individuals named Gregory McMichael and his son, Travis McMichael, saw Ahmad Arbery just jogging down the street, minding his own business, and they decided that he was some type of threat to the neighborhood, potentially some type of robbery suspect. So they decided to take matters into their own hand, and they grabbed their guns, a shotgun and a three fifty seven Magnum handgun, and took off after Ahmad. And there's actually video footage of the encounter. And if you haven't seen it, it's pretty, it's graphic and it's just tragic to see what, what they did. Yeah. This video is extremely upsetting. If you have not seen it, I wouldn't recommend watching it because it's just so sad. Um, But basically these two fucking white guys, and I think they had a third guy with them that was filming the whole thing on his phone, which they're seeing if they might press charges against him as well. But they were following him because they said that they thought he was a suspect for like robberies that had been happening in the neighborhood. They had some break-ins in the area. And they said he fit the description. Mm -hmm. So they were asking him to comply with their orders and he didn't. So they apparently think they're police officers and went and just shot him and filmed the whole thing. So the reason why they did not get arrested at the time of the shooting, Mm because they roll up on him and they essentially do perform or attempt to perform a civilian arrest. Because in Georgia, it's legal for you to detain somebody who you believe is connected to a crime or committing a crime in order to wait for law enforcement, law to, enforcement to show up. Mm-hmm. So you're allowed to do that. That's what they were doing. But what happened was is that when they confronted Ahmad, one of the individuals that had the shotgun jumped out and, and basically told him to stop. And Ahmad's like, no, like I'm just yeah, jogging. Who the hell are you? And they start getting in like a, a tussle because... The guy's being really aggressive, trying to like force him to the ground so that, you know, they can perform their civilian arrest. Oh my God. Well, they start kind of fighting and Ahmad's like, get off of me, you know, and, and ends up kind of like fighting with him a little bit. And then the other male, the older male gets into the back of the truck and pulls out his handgun and ends up shooting Ahmad. And that's all captured on film. And, you know, Ahmad unfortunately passes away as a result of being shot by this other guy. And so when, you know, law enforcement gets there and everything, they essentially say that they were defending themselves because Ahmad got violent with them, even though he was not armed. And uh, there's absolutely no reason for this to have happened and Mm -hmm. for them to use this deadly force. And it also brings up this whole debate on whether or not civilians should be making arrests on on individuals in the first place, because this could have all been avoided if. Georgia didn't have a law that allows you to do this because some states don't even have this capability where a civilian mm-hmm. can actually go be armed and go and, and detain somebody who they think is committing a crime. So that was their whole reasoning. And because of this law in Georgia, neither of the McMichaels were arrested or charged with in connection to Ahmad Arbery's death. 
And in fact, the prior DA said in a letter, there was no probable cause for charges because the McMichaels were legally carrying their firearms under Georgia's open carry law. He also said the father and son were within their rights to pursue a burglary suspect and attempt to make a citizen's arrest. And he says Georgia law says a private person may arrest an offender if the offense is committed in his presence or within his immediate knowledge, which to me, I'm like, there's too much gray area in that way too much to the point where you can just shoot somebody who tries to like resist your civilian arrest. Like that's crazy to me. Absolutely bullshit. Because even the police aren't allowed to use deadly yeah. force on somebody. Is this the fucking Wild West? Absolutely not. This is yeah. ridiculous. So because of this, all of this, the DA ended up recusing themselves from all of this. And nothing happened until recently where the cell phone footage got leaked onto social media. That's what happened is everybody started seeing mm-hmm. this atrocity that was committed mm-hmm. and getting angry, which rightfully so, because this is absolutely an injustice horrifying honestly to be honest with you when i first saw it i didn't even know if it was real i was like there's no way this is real because if it was real this would be on the news everywhere and obviously it is now but when i first saw it it wasn't and my first thoughts before i went you know checked and saw that it was real was maybe this is like some type of acted out thing because they kind of like the camera goes away and it's just too upsetting to realize that this kind of shit is still happening in our country in 2020 absolutely fuck and to me i i really think there's some you know racial motivation here for yeah mcmichaels because it's like yes how do you know 100 anyone who tries to dare argue that this isn't racist is an idiot i'm sorry this is a racist incident it 100 is and this happens all the time and it's always young african americans that are getting shot by white individuals you never see a white individual running jogging through a neighborhood getting gunned down by other you know white individuals or even african-american individuals it yeah. just doesn't happen before so. we even started this episode i was showing josh and janelle these videos of this guy who's been taking videos of himself this white guy just running through same area in georgia um holding a tv like carrying a flat screen around with him and jogging and he's like i'm trying to look like he had his hat backwards and his shirt off and he's trying to look like a criminal and no one is stopping him no one's even looking at him and he's been doing it for days on end right so that pretty much proves mm-hmm. everybody's point that this was racially charged attack. But what's interesting is that literally 36 hours after this footage is leaked online and there's this huge outrage about this video and clearly these people were not within their legal rights to go and no. gun somebody down because they think he's a burglary suspect. Right. Like what the hell? You know, if you're going to do a civilian's arrest, if the person is not going to allow you to detain them, then let them go. Let the police handle, let trained professionals who do this for a living come in and talk to Ahmad and, you know, have a conversation with him. And I'm sure they would have figured out real quickly that this is not the individual we're, you know, we're looking for. Or if he is, then let them make the arrest. The Mm -hmm. fact that these crazy motherfuckers with guns are running around, jumping out on people and. Dude, they're just racist and they want to use their guns. That's it. It's crazy, man. But the Georgia Bureau of Investigations have secured arrest for the McMichaels and they are currently booked in the Glynn County Jail awaiting their trial. So so that's the son and father that yes. actually did it. But what about the guy that's filming the whole thing from the other car? I don't I don't know. Uh, I don't think they've done anything to him yet. Well, they should because that's bullshit. Right. I mean, he should have. I mean, the thing about it, though, is that he did get reported and the local DA did not do anything about it, did not press charges or anything because it's fucked up. 
Right. Their systems down there are a fucking mess. Right. And I know in, that just from Amanda Shirley and her experience for Justice for DJ. Mm-hmm. Just a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Especially in some of these small towns in the South. There, <sighs> there's definitely still a lot of old time bullshit and racism just running through those areas. Yep. Yep. So absolutely. I really hope that for Ahmad's family's sake that they get justice and these two individuals are mm-hmm. are punished accordingly. Oh, let's hope. Because I mean, this is murder, man. It's murder. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad to see the state of our country at this point in time. Right. And it's, it's sad to see that, you know, the leaders of our country don't seem to really care that much about this Mm-mm. or, you know, are talking about not it. Not until or, they have to, not until they're shamed publicly all over the internet. Right. Or, or addressing the bigger issue here. You know, they're mm-hmm. not acknowledging that this was mm-hmm. a racist attack. So, well, maybe they'll be able to do something with this and try to get the laws changed about the civilian arrests or, you know, maybe something good will come out of this. Yeah. I know I hope the family's something. really fired up and wants to get some type of justice bigger than just having them put behind bars, but see an actual change. Absolutely. I mean, you shouldn't feel scared as, as a black man to go running through a neighborhood mm. just on a jog. Like, and that's a real fear that people have. And it's just, it's, it's too, we're too far along in, you know, our civilization. And, you know, it's just like, when is this going to end? When are we going to get to a point where everybody is actually treated equally? Is that possible? Are we ever going to get to that point? I'm not sure. There's a lot of really fucked up racist people. So, all right. Well, speaking of fucked up people, let's get into Jody. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) But before we get into that, we'd like to thank our sponsors for today. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the Jody Arias Travis Alexander case. This one is pretty intense and can be a little graphic. Just wanted to warn you guys in advance. Uh, it's pretty brutal, but it's one of the most popular and, like I said, infamous cases of all time. And I think that's a lot to do with the fact that Jody is such an interesting person and the psychology behind her is just intriguing how she acts and just how all of this went down, the amount of lying and just weird events. Yeah. And the fact that she presents herself as such like an innocent, sweet, loving woman that, you know, can do no wrong. It reminds me a lot of Casey Anthony. Oh yeah. So many similarities, tons of similarities and just those two individuals and and their their personalities. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it seems like they could be a sociopath or even a psychopath. Like, yeah, it's actually really scary. So let's go ahead and dive into Jody Arias's background a little bit so we can actually understand sort of where she came from and how she became this absolute monster. So Jody Ann Arias was born on July 9th, 1980 in Salinas, California to her parents, William and Sandra Arias. And she was actually the oldest of three children and her father owned a restaurant and they grew up very middle class. So not rich, not poor, but just that, you know, average American family and her parents practiced Christianity, but Jody was never particularly religious. And according to Jody, and this hasn't been backed up really by anybody else that I could find, but she says her childhood days starting from seven years of age were marked with child abuse. And she claimed that her parents used to beat her with a belt and wooden spoons, which mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that child abuse to spank your kids with wooden spoons and a belt? Well, that's a really controversial topic. I'm not sure. I don't have my own kids, so I personally wouldn't do that. Uh, Were you spanked with a spoon or oh, anything? No way. I, I was. My mom may have swatted me like a few times with her hand. But yeah. like, not my. I mean, I think a lot of people are spanked with spoons and belts yeah. and stuff like I was. was. I used to see my neighbor getting hit with the belt and I was like, what the fuck is yeah. that? Um, but yeah, I mean, 
I don't know if that's necessarily child abuse. That's, you know, she had really strict religious parents, but they deny pretty much everything that she says about them. Right. That they, they definitely didn't abuse her in their eyes. And Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of parents would say that my parents wouldn't say they abused me because they spanked me with a spoon or something, but she was a good student until she became rebellious in her teens. In the eighth grade, actually, her parents found that she was growing marijuana and they ended up calling the police on her. Jody's mother has said that Jody was very intelligent and loved to read books and that she would even encourage her to read books herself and to better educate herself. And another thing that she said was that Jody always had a boyfriend mm-hmm. and would seem to go from boy to boy without ever taking a break in between. Totally boy crazy. Yes. Yeah. And her relationship with her parents was pretty rocky because they were so strict and she started showing those signs of rebellion. And according to them, they said that they really weren't that strict on her. I mean, I don't know what their standards are, but eventually she decided to just leave home. Um, She went to a Eureka Union High School, but dropped out in 11th grade and earned her GED. And at that point, she just was like, bye. And she went off to try to be a photographer. She had been interested in it since she was like 10 years old and wanted to make it a full-time job and become a professional photographer. So Jody always had a camera with her at all times, loved to document everything that she saw. She has, there's so many pictures and this was kind of around MySpace time when this is all taking place and there's endless pictures on her MySpace. I don't know if you can still get to it now. I've heard you can, but if you just go to Google and type in Jody Aries MySpace pictures, there's so many pictures of her and her friends and what she was doing. She took pictures of absolutely everything, which is really ironic in this case. Yeah, you'll see why. As we'll find out. Yeah, I was just going to say too. I think part of the reason for being rebellious, it, it really, you know, I can kind of connect with that a little bit, just mm-hmm. because I kind of went through the same thing. It was probably more of like she didn't want to be in a Christian family or be part of the Christian religion, and yeah. her parents were kind of pushing her towards that. And so, because I don't, I don't know how rebellious she really was. I think it was more like she didn't agree with her parents' view on life and you know what she was allowed to do. I'm sure they were strict about boys and things like that. Uh-huh. And if you're boy crazy and you have really religious parents, that's kind of a problem because you can't really right. do the things that you want to do or you know date the individuals that you want to date. So yeah, but she, I mean, she wasn't kicked out of the house though. She chose to leave, and right. like I said, her parents deny a lot of the abuse and how bad her life is. Her mom's like. I don't know where she got this crazy idea that her life was so terrible growing up, but Jody always says that her childhood like messed her up. Right. So in 2001, actually she became a server at a California restaurant located at the Ventana Inn and spa in Carmel. And while she was working there, she met the restaurant's food and beverage manager named Daryl Brewer. And they actually started dating in 2003. And eventually after dating for a while, Jody areas and Brewer together bought a house in California's Palm desert and decided to pay $2,800 each per month as a mortgage payment. That's a lot. That's Damn. a ton, yeah. What, their mortgage was almost five grand? Yeah. Damn. So let's talk a little bit about Travis Alexander, um, who they haven't met at this point in the story, but Travis was born on July 28th, 1977 in Riverside, California, and he had a really tough life right out the gate. His parents were drug addicts, and his parents would leave him and his siblings alone for quite a while at a time without food, and they also were physically abusive to them, especially his mother. When he was about 10 years old, his grandparents decided to step in and took the children from them and kind of saved their lives, uh, which they were really Mormon And Travis wasn't as religious. I mean, when he first came into their family or I guess their guardianship and they kind of 
brought him into the church and it was like the most stable thing. I mean, so many kind people with their shit together. They're not addicted to drugs. And he was like, wow. And he actually really got into the Mormon church, became a big part of it and really embraced it. And it got to the point where he actually went on a two-year mission to Denver. And then he returned to California to work for prepaid legal services, which was like a multi-level marketing business, kind of like one of those MLM MLM type situations, Mm -hmm. but not really, I guess. No, it is. It's like the structure of it. He recruited other people. People make money under him. He makes a percentage. Yeah. Yeah. So it is. (laughs) MLM. But he did really well with this because he is a very likable individual. He's very charismatic. Mm -hmm. He was a really great salesman, a great recruiter, and just overall liked by everybody that he encountered. Yeah, very social, had a lot of friends. He had a group of friends that were really close and they were all, you know, Mormon. They had similar beliefs to him and he was really happy in his life at this point. Yeah, and just an overall all around great guy, a really great public speaker. And yeah, and everybody that was around him and his friends would all say the same thing and that he was just a happy and successful individual. So in 2004, Travis Alexander moves to Mesa, Arizona. And one of the reasons he moved there is because it had a larger Mormon community than where he was living in California. But one of the things about Travis is that, you know, in the Mormon faith, it's absolutely against what they believe to have sex before marriage. Mm. And, you know, sex is only to be had within a husband and a wife. And for Travis, this was something that he really didn't agree with because Mm. he had a very active sexual life. He did. He's described as a very sexual person, but this was hidden from pretty much everyone in his life. Mm -hmm. He wanted everyone to think he was still a virgin. Right. Right. And I mean, I I understand why he's a really good looking guy and was Uh just popular among women. So he got a ton of attention from uh, both Mormon women and just any women he came into contact with in general. So this kind of leads us to the beginning of Jody Arias's and Travis Alexander's relationship. In 2006, Jody was still living in California with her older boyfriend, Daryl Brewer, and they were having some financial issues because, I mean, they had a huge mortgage payment to pay and money was starting to be difficult to come by. So Jody found prepaid legal services in February of 2006 and started working for them while also still working for the restaurant because, I mean, you're not going to make that much money working for them in the beginning because it's, you know, you got yeah, to work your way up to really start making money. And the more she got involved in the whole prepaid legal services business, which is now called Legal Shield, by the way, her relationship with her other boyfriend, Daryl Brewer, started really deteriorating and they were having a terrible time. Yeah. And their financial situation was just going to shit and mm-hmm. they really didn't know what to do at that point. So they actually ended up parting ways in December 2006. And it's interesting is even though Jody's so crazy, this relationship seemed to end somewhat well because they stayed friends, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit to September 2006 and Jody and Travis are both in Vegas for a company convention. There's like this big banquet and each person is given two tickets. Uh, so Travis had an extra ticket and we're not sure if friends set them up or if Travis asked her, we've heard both said in different yeah. articles, but it seems that that's where they met and that's where they first like had a date was going to this company banquet and apparently they just hit it off right away. And Jody was really wooed by him and he was just so romantic and they just sparks flew right away. And a serious sexual relationship developed shortly after. I mean, they were extremely attracted to each other. I mean, they're both attractive people. 
So it makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, Travis Alexander is this Mormon, really devout Mormon. Mm-hmm. All so, his friends think he's a virgin. Mm-hmm. He's a great example for everyone else. But secretly, he's having sex with Jody. And they spent a lot of time traveling around the country. And this is something that really brought them together. I mean, don't you think that traveling brings us together whenever we do that? It's like a really bonding experience. So they got close really quickly because they were traveling. Yeah. I think it's just a healthy thing to do with your partner, especially if you really want to, because it it forces you to experience, you know, new experiences together and new Mm -hmm. places that you've never been. And, you know, all the challenges that come along with it. And yeah, there's something really bonding about it. Yeah. Well, because you're spending all your time traveling, right. not just, you're not working, you're not doing all these other right. things. You're just getting to focus. And it allows for lots of time to have sex as well. <laughs> True that. <laughs> and when they weren't together, they would remain in constant contact with each other through daily phone calls and email exchanges. I mean, they were just talking mm-hmm. to each other all the time. Constant. Pretty much obsessed with each other. Too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Dirty texts and stuff. So the more time that Travis spent with Jody, he eventually started to see her as a possible wife one day. I mean, he really was into her. He wrote messages to all his friends saying, this woman is unbelievable. She's like, anyone who ends up with her as their wife is so lucky. And I would be honored to share my life with her. He started saying really deep stuff about her. And of course, if you are a Mormon person, you would like for your partner to also be Mormon. So he started talking to her about getting her involved in the church. And Jody would do pretty much anything for Travis. She really loved him. I mean, she was feeling the same way back. So on November 26, 2006, she ended up getting baptized into the church and made that step to be closer to Travis. By becoming a dedicated Mormon. Mm-hmm. Or so they would try to portray to everybody else. Which is a pretty big deal. I mean, to it's a very big convert deal. your faith Absolutely. for someone. So obviously she was just as serious about him. And I guess when you join the Mormon church, you have to have a sponsor. So Travis acted as that sponsor for her. So in a way, he was almost responsible for her. Like if she messed up or did something wrong, it'd kind of like be on him. Right. But this was kind of a turning point for the relationship too. Because now that she had converted to Mormonism... She could publicly be with him and live with him. She didn't have to be his little secret. Right, exactly. It wasn't going to, I mean, obviously they're not married yet, but she could, yeah, she was a Mormon now, so it wouldn't be as frowned upon by everybody else. So in February of 2007, Jody decided to move to Mesa, Arizona to be with Travis. And for a while, things were going really well. It was hot and heavy, but I think Travis started seeing some red flags with Jody. I mean, he's not here to tell us, but I'm just assuming um, because he slowly started to back away from the relationship, started to question if he really wanted to spend the rest of his life with her. I'm sure he was starting to see some fucking crazy yeah, behavior. Right. Well, her. once you start living with someone, right, uh-huh. you know, I'm oh, sure yeah. when she moved in and he started being with her 24 mm-hmm. seven, you know, and you're not traveling and right. having all these great experiences together. And it's just like normal mundane life that he probably did start seeing some weird behaviors from her and how controlling and possessive she is over Absolutely. him. Yeah. And she seems like a very jealous person. Oh yeah. So I'm sure she was very unhappy with Travis's job and the fact that he was, you know, out there recruiting people and probably talking to women on the Mm -hmm. daily. And I'm sure he had women that were hitting on him. So I'm sure it was very difficult for Jody to deal with, with all of that. And oh yeah, she was pissed. Yeah. And so all of those things probably led Travis to be like, well, I don't know if this woman's going to be able to handle, Mm -hmm. you know, my life and my career. So, you know, he decided that he was going to break off the relationship with her in June of 2007. And she tried to take the approach of like, 
okay, I'll, I'll just get him back somehow. So I'll be the cool girl that just wants to be friends with benefits for now. So she, they kept having sex, mm-hmm. even though they weren't in a relationship, even though she wanted that. And she was trying to prove to him that she could be everything that he wanted. She would try to really seduce him as much as she could. She'd even sneak into his house late at night naked and crawl into bed with him. So basically so, like force sex to yeah. happen. She was using sex as a tool to make him want to be with her. And she exactly. thought if she did that enough that she'd end up getting wiped up. Yeah. I mean, her ultimate goal was to make Travis hers forever. Yes. And Travis obviously was only using her for sex at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and he so, started seeing other girls. Exactly. And Jody did not like this whatsoever. Mm-hmm. She went crazy with jealousy. And at that point began to stalk him. Which is just taking it to the next level and taking it way too far. She started finding out that he was hanging out with other girls and she would even hide in bushes to watch who was coming to his house, who was picking him up. And one time she saw him with another girl. And when he went inside with the other girl, she went and slashed his tires. Crazy. Yeah. And then obviously she didn't have access to his house anymore. So she would actually crawl <laughs> through his doggy door in order That's to my get biggest fear, house. man. That's why I'll never get a dog door. I know. Right. Someone can just, crawl the fuck in (laughs) seriously and travis began to feel worried i mean i think he saw like the intensity in her like this bitch is fucking relentless like she's not going to give up yeah and so he actually told a friend don't be surprised if one of these sundays i don't show up at meaning church and Mm -hmm. you find me dead someplace wow that's really crazy considering what happens dude but Jody would just constantly annoy him and would send him and the women he dated threatening emails, which Travis would complain to about his friends. I'm sure his friends are like, well, you got to do something about Jody because mm-hmm. she's just getting completely out of control. Yeah. All of his friends knew about it. But the thing about it is that Jody was like his kryptonite. Mm-hmm. Like the sex with Jody was obviously really good to the point where despite her doing all this crazy shit and stalking him, he would still like have sex with her like on the side because Travis definitely seems like he was a really, really sexual person. So to have somebody that's always there and ready to have sex with Mm -hmm. you was probably nice for him. Uh But at the same time, he had to deal with all of the consequences of that. So eventually Jody ended up relocating to Eureka, California in 2008 and started living with her grandparents. And April 2008 is the last time that she claims to have been with Travis. Mm hmm. Then on May 28th, 2008, Jody's grandparents called the police to report that their handgun was stolen along with some cash and electronics. This is really interesting because when the police actually went and investigated this as a burglary, it didn't really add up to what a typical burglary would look like because there was like money found, like they have photographs of money found that was just laying out that could have easily been grabbed that the burglar didn't take. And it seemed like it was literally just the gun that went missing yeah. in this burglary. Yeah. And very weird. Looking back at this, it seems like a lot of people believe that Jody actually staged this burglary on her grandparents yeah. in order to obtain so. this gun. So a few days after this gun just goes missing, on June second, two thousand eight, Jody rented a car in Redding, California, and went on a little road trip. Her first stop was to visit Daryl Brewer on June third, two thousand eight, who was her ex. And while she was there, she asked him to borrow two gas cans. Now, we'll talk about why she may have done this later on, but she continued her road trip to Salt Lake City for a PPL convention and to meet with this guy named Ryan Burns. She left Northern California on June 2nd. She drove to Southern California to meet with some friends and arrived in Salt Lake City on June 5th. 
And Ryan Burns confirms that she arrived at about 11 a.m. on the 5th and seemed like nothing was wrong. The only difference was her hair had been dyed brown and she had a couple cuts on her fingers, which Jody said was from bartending. So meanwhile, Travis is starting to see some other women and one of them was named Mimi Hall. And they actually had this trip coming up to Cancun and it was for a work retreat but she hadn't heard from Travis for up to five days before this trip, which she thought was really weird considering they had a trip coming up together. You'd think you'd be talking about it, planning it out. So on June 9th, which is the night before they were supposed to go, she went to his house and knocked on the door, but there was no answer, which she thought was really, really weird. So she called her friend and her and her friend and her friend's boyfriend came over. Yeah, and they saw Travis's dog inside the house. Yeah. So they thought it was weird. They're like, clearly he's probably home if the dog's inside. And why isn't he answering? He probably should be there if he's going to be leaving the next day for Cancun. And so they definitely were starting to get a little like worried and suspicious about why he wasn't answering the door. So they contacted another friend who gave them Travis's garage code, and they went into the house through the garage. The house was set up so that the laundry room is the first area that you walk in through through the garage. So they went in there and as soon as they got in the laundry room, they could smell something awful. And at first they thought maybe it was the dog, like the dog went to the bathroom or something. Um, But they went to Travis's room and the door was locked. So that's when they really began to worry. And what's so crazy about this is that Travis's roommate who lived there with him, Zach Billings, was there in his room. How weird is that? Yeah. People are knocking at the door. Meanwhile, it smells like dead body in the house. Smells bad. Yeah, I'm surprised the friend didn't notice the smell. Right? I mean, everyone at first. That's why at first people were really suspicious about him. But I don't know. Sometimes like in roommate situations, like roommates will just live in their room and like they'll come right in, not look anywhere else and just go right and kind of stay in the room. Like even though they're roommates, they're kind of having separate lives completely. Yeah, exactly. So they started talking to Zach about like, hey, do you know what's going on with Travis? Like why is his room locked? Watching a movie and that's why he didn't answer the door. (laughs) Anyway. They said that neither him or his other roommate, Enrique, had seen Travis in almost a week. And they actually thought he had already left for Cancun. Which, I mean, I guess if you live with a bunch of roommates, you're probably going to lock your door before you leave. I mean, it's, I guess yeah. if you don't trust your roommates or... Or, I mean, just for privacy reasons. You don't yeah, know who you don't they're gonna going to bring to the house. In. and Yeah. Yeah. So it's not super weird that the door was locked. I mean, locked, he did but... have a whole secret sexual relationship going right, on. It probably true. wasn't that uncommon for him to lock his door. Right. Don't want anybody walking in on him. So Zach found a spare key to Travis's room. And when they opened the door, they were just shocked at what they saw. And as they enter the room, they started to see huge pools of blood near the bathroom. And they ventured in a little further. Not all of them. There was a female with them, too, who didn't want to go into the room. But his friends then walked into the bathroom. And that's where they discovered Travis in terrible condition, clearly had passed away already, and just blood all over the place. Yeah, and he was laying like almost in like a fetal position inside the shower stall. It's like one of those narrow shower stalls. So he's kind of like crumpled up in a heap, a bloody mess at the bottom of it. And yeah, it's a really, really gruesome scene oh my um, that they see. He's, yeah, he's clearly passed already. He's got Damn. major, major wounds to his neck and his face. And I mean, we're not going to put the pictures on this video, but wow, yeah. this is my first time seeing them actually. That's pretty yeah, horrifying. It's, it is. It's very, very yeah. scary. So obviously they freak out and they call the police. They call 911. And this is the 911 call. It's a little bit edited. Um, We took out some of the pauses and stuff, but here is the call. What's going on? 
Um, a friend of ours is dead in his bedroom. We, we hadn't heard from him for a while. We think he's dead. His roommate just went in there and, and said there's lots of blood. I didn't go in, but I, I can give you the phone to someone who went in there. Can, yes, please, can you? Hello. Hi, so what's going on? He's... Uh, he he's dead. He's in his bedroom okay. in in the shower. Okay. How did this happen? Do you have any idea? No, we have no idea. Everyone's been wondering about him okay. for well, a few said, days. Okay. Well, she said that there is blood. So is it coming from his head? Did he? Cut no, his head? I, it, I, it's all over the place. Is there any weapons around? I no, I don't know. I not that I saw. How many people are in the house? There are, how, how many of us, how many are in the house right now? Just the five of us? Five of us. Okay, I need all of you outside. Okay. Hold on just a moment. Okay, you're a good friend of, of Travis's, correct? Yes, I am. Okay, yeah. has he been depressed at all, thinking about yeah. committing suicide, anything like that? I, I don't think he's been thinking he committed suicide. He's been really depressed because he uh, broke up with this girl, and he was all upset about that, but... I, I don't think he would actually kill himself over that. Has he been threatened by anyone recently? Yes, he has. Okay. he has. He has has an ex-girlfriend that's been bothering him and and um, following him and slashing tires and things like that. And do you know the ex-girlfriend's name? Um, um, do you remember it? Yeah. What, what's his ex-girlfriend's name? That's Taylor. And do you know if he's ever reported it to the police? Um, her, his, her name is Jody. Um, I don't know if he's ever reported. Hold on. Yeah. Ask her if he's ever reported Jody to the Like, if Travis did. No, he hasn't reported anything about Jody's behavior. The roommate. When was the last time he saw Travis? Was it three days ago? Um, Zach. Yeah. Uh, do you guys, when was the last time you saw Zach? Like, I mean, Travis. They want to know what's from the roommate. Last time I saw him was, what, last Thursday or Friday? The last time I've ever seen him was last Thursday. When was that um, uh, uh, Mimi saw him last Tuesday, or, or last Monday. She talked to him last Monday. And everyone is out of the house. There's no one else in the house. No, no one's in the house. What is your name? My name is Michelle. Um, I I need to ask a friend something here. I'm giving the phone to Mimi. Okay. Um. Hi. Hi. She's. His roommate went in, there's blood in his bedroom mm-hmm. behind the door, uh, and probably, and then he said it's all over. And then they went in the bathroom and he's in his shower. I hope my phone doesn't die. I'm on like one bar of battery. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm just going to keep you on the phone until officers arrive, either officers or paramedics arrive, okay? Okay, I think I can hear the siren now. It's pretty clear from the 911 call that they're all in complete shock. Mm-hmm. about what they have just you know walked into mm-hmm. and obviously the blood everywhere i mean and he's in the shower it doesn't seem like a suicide scene based upon there being blood everywhere and mm-hmm. also the extent of his injuries which we'll talk about more in a second but once everybody got out of the house the police arrived along with paramedics and actually mesa police detective esteban flores as well as maricopa county deputy attorney juan martinez arrived on the scene and they were the ones that actually go in and look at the scene and try to make out what had happened. Because based upon the initial reports, it does seem like it could have been maybe a suicide. Right, by the way they were talking. Exactly. Just found dead in his bedroom and stuff, yeah. But once you see the injuries, there's just no way. Exactly. And I mean, it was pretty 
obvious to the detective and the what ends up being the prosecutor Juan Martinez that this was a homicide because there's blood literally everywhere and they even found a bloody palm print on the wall and one of the things that Juan Martinez and the detective said was that they when they looked at his body it was just so mangled in such bad shape that they couldn't even really make out exactly what the injuries were that caused him to to die essentially they couldn't figure out which one had killed him exactly it's just such a mess and there's just blood everywhere Mm -hmm. so travis's body was removed from the scene for analysis they did hair samples and fingerprints and on the floor they found a bullet casing so they knew that a gun was involved and what was clear to them was that travis's body had been there for a little while because it was actually starting to decompose Mm -hmm. and starting to mummify that's so scary so the injuries that Travis Alexander actually sustained are, were very, very severe. And according to the medical examiner, they said that Travis Alexander was stabbed at least 27 times. He was shot in the right brow with a 25 caliber gun, which was that single casing that they found in the bathroom. But he also had a slash across his throat from ear to ear that pretty much almost decapitated him. And his voice box and arteries were cut as well. So obviously a very hateful crime Mm -hmm. and clearly a homicide. I mean, nobody kills himself in this way. So once they established the crime scene, they started looking around. They noticed that the crime scene had partially been cleaned. The bedding from Travis's bed was removed and Travis's body looked as though someone had tried to clean him off in the shower. Also, no forced entry was found in the home. So investigators were led to believe that the act was committed by someone who knew Travis as opposed to a random stranger breaking into the home. And obviously, at first, the first people they're going to look at as suspects were his roommates. And to the police, it was difficult for them to believe that none of the roommates smelled, you know, what was coming from Travis's room. Yeah, especially since the other friends smelled it as soon as they got in the house. It is really weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is very weird to me. But then again, I mean, maybe as like guys and being roommates, maybe we're just like, oh, he's got smelly shit or food laying out or something. But I don't know. I mean, from what I've heard, a decomposing body smells very unique smell. It's definitely weird. mm -hmm. But all of his roommates were eventually cleared. Now, what's interesting is that when they went to look to try to find like the bedding and stuff, Mm -hmm. they opened the washing machine and they found a load of towels and a digital camera in the wash. Like someone had tried to destroy it that way because the camera wouldn't even turn on. But the SD card was still in it. Right. Which even though a even though an SD card goes through the wash, which I've done many times, Mm -hmm. you can still use an SD card after going through the wash and being submerged in water. So whoever put the camera in the washer clearly thought that they would be able to get rid of any evidence that may have been on the camera or on the SD card. If it went through the wash, which seems stupid as fuck. Why wouldn't you just take the SD card with you? Yeah, exactly. Or just like cut it in half. Like there's so many other ways to destroy an SD card Throw it in the washing machine. Yeah. Not too smart. Mm Mm-mm. But obviously finding the camera and the SD card was a huge piece of evidence for them and would really help them try to figure out who had killed Travis. But Jody was already on their radar because as you guys heard in the 911 call, they were immediately thought it was her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when that many friends are like, it was probably her, you look into that person. And crazy enough, Jody Arias herself randomly reached out to Detective Flores to offer any assistance in the death of her friend Travis. Yeah, she was trying to act really sad about it. Like she was just devastated to hear the news and just found out with everyone else. And she had made like a MySpace post memorializing him and talking about how sad she was. And Right. Yeah. And probably in her mind, she thought, well, this is going to throw the suspicion off of me yeah. if I act like I'm just this concerned friend. Right. 
So when talking to Detective Flores, he asks her what she's heard so far, and she states that she heard that Travis had passed away and that there was a lot of blood. She also explained to Detective Flores that her and Travis had dated for about six months after their relationship had begun in 2007. And she said it was a mutual breakup and that they had stayed in touch as friends. And she says that she had last seen Travis in April of 2008 before she moved back to California to live with her grandparents. She explained that she had been on a road trip during the time as her alibi. Um, But she said that she specifically did not stop in Arizona because she and Travis had been fighting and he actually did not want her to go on this road trip for whatever reason. So she, I guess, wanted to make it clear that she was never even in Arizona. But what's interesting is we have a voicemail that Jody Arias left for Travis six hours after his murder. And this was on June 4, 2008 at 1137 p.m. And here's the voicemail she left. I know Leslie called you, so I already talked to her, so uh, you can call her back if you want, but it's not necessary. Um, my phone died, so I wasn't getting back to anybody. Um, and what else? Oh, and I drove 100 miles in the wrong direction. Over 100 miles, thank you very much. So, yeah, remember New Mexico? <clears throat> it was a lot like that, only you weren't here to prevent me from going into the three digits, so fun, fun. Tell you all about that later. Um, also, we were talking about, <clears throat> when we were talking about your upcoming travels my way, I was looking at the May calendar, duh. So I'm all confused. Um, but Heather and I are going to see Othello on July 1st, and we would love for you to co- accompany us. Um, I don't know when Team Freedom's event is, though, but, you know, it's on the list. So we could do um, we could do Shakespeare, Crater Lake, and the coast. So if you, make, if you can make it. If not, we'll just do the coast in uh, Crater Lake. But let me know, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. End of message. So... Clearly, she was trying to make it look like everything was normal and she thought Travis was still alive. Right. And had, you know, was not there with him or not involved with this in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. She probably thought as she was driving home, you know, it would really make me look innocent if I just called him and acted like everything was normal. Right. And even though that voicemail, I'm like, kind of sounds a little fishy to me. She does sound a little shaky. She sounds like she's just like listing things off way too fast yeah. almost like panicking. almost giving too much detail to yeah really. exactly like it seems it, very fake it does so then on june 12 2008 detective flores asked several of travis's friends for dna and fingerprint samples in order to assist them with the investigation jody arias and many other people comply and submit samples and two of the people that submitted samples were chris and scott hughes and travis alexander had worked with chris and the couple were very much a role model to him And when police asked the couple if they believed that anyone out there had a reason to murder Travis, they said, yes, Jody Arias would. So obviously, Jody Arias is quickly becoming prime suspect number one for the police. Mm -hmm. And so they're starting to look into her story. So as they're looking into Jody, because they're concerned that all these friends are bringing her up, but they were confused because she essentially kind of had an alibi. I mean, Ryan Burns was saying that she did come into Salt Lake City at 11 a.m. and her story checked out. So they're starting to lean away from her until that SD card from that digital camera found in the washing machine came back from the crime lab and they were able to recover pictures that showed before the crime happened and after the crime happened, which is insane. You barely ever get that type of evidence in a crime scene to have pictures as it all went down. And it gives them kind of a timeline to follow as well. Cause obviously the, they're time stamped. Mm-hmm. Well, the biggest thing about these pictures is that in the pictures, guess who else is in them? Not only are they pictures of Travis Alexander naked in the shower, but 
Jody Arias is also naked in these mm-hmm. pictures at the same time the other ones are taken. So pretty much as soon as investigators find these pictures, they know that Jody is involved. Right. Because, I mean, you that's like the best type of evidence that yeah. you can get for, you know, an investigation is photos of the actual mm-hmm. crime or around the act when the actual crime was committed. So rare. And she was just so obsessed with taking pictures of everything that she documented this. That's crazy. So investigators start to relook at her statement, relook at her alibi, and they realize something huge. So obviously they're a little confused because they thought that she had taken this road trip and that she wasn't in Arizona. But then they talked to her ex brewer and he tells them that she had asked for those two gas cans when she was there that we mentioned earlier. And after they thought about it, they realized that the reason she needed gas cans was so that she could get through the state of Arizona without having to stop for gas at all. So at this point she's being interrogated by police. They Mm -hmm. brought her in because clearly she was there at the time of the murder Mm -hmm. and she's clearly involved. So Mm -hmm. police are interrogating her, getting this information. And one of the things that they noticed is that when they dug into her story, they were able to find receipts from all the other states she had been to or transactions mm-hmm. where she had bought gas or but Arizona food. It's just nothing. Exactly. So they were like, Hmm, I wonder how she got through Arizona without stopping. And that's when those two gas cans come in. And it clearly makes sense that she got those ahead of time in order to make it completely through up into Utah without stopping. Which ends up being a huge point in this case in the trial because it shows that she had premeditated this, that she had planned to not stop at gas stations for a reason. And clearly she's lying because she said she wasn't in Arizona at any point in time. Mm -hmm. And they now have definitive proof that she was with Travis Alexander in Arizona. So when they first bring her in, Jody acts just so upset and there's no way that she could have done it. She's very upset that they are accusing her of it. And she's sticking to her story that she did not go to Arizona. She had not seen Travis since April and has nothing to do with this. So here's a little bit of her first interrogation footage. Jody tells several stories throughout this whole process. So this is kind of her first story. So let's listen to what she says. I'm talking to a lot of people and everybody's pointing a finger at you. I know. You know, everybody is saying I don't understand what happened to Travis. I don't know who killed him. But you need to look at Jody. And sometimes the simplest answers are the correct ones. And that's one of the reasons I started looking at you a little bit closer. I'm kind of just putting two and two together. And and it it kind of matches. I have a problem with this trip. Well, I went first, too. Yeah, I know. I know you went down here. I've gone over this trip over and over in my mind and on paper. There's still 20 some odd hours, even if you pulled over to sleep a couple of times. Oh, did I tell you that I got stranded? Yeah. You mentioned that. If you slept for 10 hours, I only slept for here and hours. here, it would still leave 18 some odd hours or something else. Okay. This is what people are focusing on is this trip that you took. I did not go near his house. Isn't there? Aren't there I pulled your cell records. Your cell phone was turned off between here. Here, okay, but the last place it pulled it was here. The next place it turned on was here. What does that show me? Oh, well, I began. Oh, no, no, no. Is there plenty of time for you to do that? Yes, and I do. I believe that you had come to visit Travis. Yes, did you have the opportunity? Yes, you were traveling alone. There's no other witnesses. Your phone just happened to turn off from here to here. Well, I didn't turn it off physically, but it died. And then it magically, you, oh you found your charger here? It was it was under the, act under the seat of the passenger side. And it was when I was... When you were lost, you couldn't have maybe pulled over and 
found it? Well, I did finally start looking when I was stranded. I wasn't even close to him. Um, what if I could show you proof you were there? Would well, that change your mind? I wasn't there. To be honest with you, Joey. I was not at Travis's house. I was not. You were at Travis's house. You guys had a sexual encounter, which there's pictures. I know you know there's pictures because I have them. What I'm asking you is for you to be honest with me. I know you were there. Are you sure those pictures aren't from another time? Positive. There's so much evidence in that house. So much. And it all points to you. I I lived there. I was there for months and months and months. You left palm print at the scene. In blood. What's going on there? Well, I can explain the blood and the hair. I don't know about my left palm print. How can you explain the blood and the hair? Well, because I used to bathe Napoleon. All the time. And, um... You haven't been there since April. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, He's had the house clean several times since then. And this hair was not just a, a hair, you know, from the shower or something. This hair was stuck with blood. It obviously had blood on it. At the time it got stuck where, where it ended up. There's no other hair. Can you, t- can you take a hair sample? And we like, have your DNA. No, but I mean, like, you know how they can do drug tests and find out when things are done? Can no, you? we can't do that. Can't you measure the time? We maybe? have DNA matching. You absolutely cannot, can, cannot explain that way. You either had blood on your hand and you touched the wall, or there was blood on the wall and you touched the blood. Could my palm print have already been there and I touched it? Joey, this is absolutely over. You need to tell me the truth. Listen, the truth is I did not hurt Travis. Okay, so we're Joey, safe. you can continue to do this. A records check shows you that you uh, just reported a, a gun stolen. 25 Auto just happens to be the same caliber as the weapon used to kill him. If you want, I can show you some pictures of him. Do you want to see pictures of him? Part of me does and part of me doesn't. Why? Because you don't want to remember? No, I Joey. Just, there's a morbid curiosity. Joey. I wanted to know how he died. We can keep playing these games over and over again. I'm not going to believe you. When right. you start telling me the truth, Listen. then I can believe you. But I can't deny this evidence. I can't. The trip you took doesn't make sense. The opportunity was there. Your pictures on that date with him. Your blood is in the house. Mixed with his. Mixed. Not alongside, but mixed. Your hair is there with blood. And your palm print is there in blood. It's over. So she's obviously freaking out. I mean... Can you imagine if you were thinking you're getting away with this? And then they're like, wait a minute, bitch. We got pictures of you there. We have your hair with blood on it. I mean, I think she's starting in her mind to realize like, oh, shit, I'm going to have to change my strategy here. Yeah, which I mean, I think she's one of those people that thinks she's so smart and she's going to outsmart everybody. She thought this whole plan through Mm -hmm. really well, but clearly she didn't because she should have, you know, she didn't even look up to see if an SD card can be destroyed being submerged in water. Because the SD card was really the evidence that just solidified mm-hmm. that Jody was involved. I mean, there's even a picture that shows like her foot and her the, leg or something. Yeah, the pants she was wearing and Travis bleeding right behind her. And she denied yeah. that that was her in the picture, even though it's clearly her. And, you know, the timestamps are all there on the day that he died based upon, you know, what they determined from the autopsy and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
all of the, you know, her timeline doesn't make any sense anymore. And it's changing. It's evolving as the detectives are interrogating her. Mm -hmm. And clearly they have all the proof they need in order to charge her with, you know, the murder of Travis Alexander. This interrogation footage goes on for a very long time. And there's hours and hours. All of it's on YouTube too. So if you're bored and you want to watch some, Mm -hmm. you know, crazy interrogation footage, then it's out there. But she just continues to deny, 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 you know, denies that the timestamps on the camera, are right, that that can be altered and just just really stretching and really just trying anything she can in order to, you know, not place the blame on mm-hmm. herself. But obviously the police are like, there's no doubt yeah. in her minds that you killed Travis. So they place her under arrest for the murder of Travis Alexander. But before they do that, they have her just in the interrogation room by herself. And there's this very famous footage of her just acting so bizarre in the interrogation room. what the Bible says and yes I'm Christian I just live my life by the Ten Commandments and that's my those are my rules da, 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 da. you know thou shalt not this or that but it doesn't say thou shalt not fornicate so I just, I just used to joke about that Jody loves Oh Holy Night. It's one of her favorites. We will see her sing it again later. I'm very confused at why she's like, I'm a Christian and I only follow the Ten Commandments. Does she know what one of the Ten Commandments is? <laughs> Thou shall not kill. Yeah. Thy neighbors or something like that. What do you think is going on there in that footage? Like, do you think she is legitimately just crazy and she's just like having a psychotic episode or is she just putting on a show or is she just weird and she's just, that's how she normally is. And she's just not taking the news too well that she's going to be charged with murder. What do you think is going on? I think that she could have been trying to, I think, I don't think she's stupid. I think she knows that she's being filmed and they're watching her in there and she's trying to look like a good person. Like, what would a good person do? They'd sit and maybe they'd do some yoga and maybe they would sing. Like, I think she's trying to make herself look like someone that wouldn't be a killer. Like portray innocence yeah, to the police in a way. And also I think she's also trying to comfort herself, entertain herself. She knows she's about to go into jail. She knows she's going to have to change into a jumpsuit soon. I think she's trying to like enjoy her last couple moments. I remember at one point I was watching something and she was talking about why she did the headstand. And she was like, well, I was looking at the carpet and 
made me realize that I'll probably never see carpet again in jail. So I might as well go ahead and enjoy it while I have it. And so she decided to do a little headstand. So, yes, wow. Really I think interesting. Could be why too. Yeah. Some other people said that maybe in her mind initially, once she knew she was caught that she was going to try to go for, you know, plead insanity mm-hmm. and maybe just act insane and like do all this weird like shit, talk to herself and stuff. Yeah. yeah to try to That's like too. use that as her defense. But I think, I think she's, she seems like a smart enough individual that I think she realized pretty quickly, like that's not going to fly. Like nobody's going to think I'm insane. I premeditated this trip and everything. Like when the actual evidence comes out, especially in trial, like Mm -hmm. I think she realized that, you know, nobody's going to believe that she's just like this insane woman that, you know, needs to be in a psych ward or something like that. So she starts kind of trying to come up with a new plan. Like she Mm -hmm. knows, okay, this version of my story is not going to work. So what is my next story going to be? So they have her change, they arrest her. They have her change into her inmate outfit. <laughs> what is that called? Inmate uh, it's just outfit. like a Jumpsuit, booking. I guess. Yeah. Jumpsuit, her booking An outfit. inmate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and this time, Jody comes out and says that two other people had broken into the house while she was there and killed Travis in front of her. So this is her new story. What was first I actually didn't see it. I heard it. You're telling me that some other people were there. You know how much that concerns me? I don't know. They got my address. And they know where my family is. Sorry. So you're trying to say you're doing this to protect your family? Why would someone do this to you? Get to him? I don't think they really intended to do anything to me. You tell me this, but you give me no reason. They didn't discuss much. They just argued. About what? About whether or not to kill me. Yeah, but I didn't really witness it. Didn't see much. I just, just um, oh. You need to make this believable, because it is not believable to me right so what you're telling me about two people coming in or however many people coming in and taking care of them and letting you go is just so far-fetched. I can't believe it. Why would they do this to them? What were they arguing about? What did they say? Their details. They didn't say a lot. They were white Americans from what I could tell. No, I, I ran into the closet because like, there's two doors and they were sort of in the hallway already. And he stopped me. And he didn't touch me. He was just held the gun to my head and he was like, you don't go anywhere. And he told, he told the other girl to finish it. I didn't see um, he was like, and he was going like this, with my own frustration. And he said, you ever, ever, ever say anything about this? Two people come in, first two white males, and then later you change it to... No, uh, I don't think I ever said white Yes, you did. Well, it was and then you change it, oh, no, one's a female. Well, it was female the whole time. I said I wasn't sure at first, but you could tell by their build. Okay. It doesn't make any sense to me. And there's no reason anybody would go after him. There's nothing in his past, nothing in his, at that time that he was going through that would cause somebody to do that. The fact that they left you alive and let you go. So obviously their first question is, why didn't you tell police? You know, why wouldn't you call police right away if someone came in and attacked you and your boyfriend? That makes no sense. And her explanation for that, she has two explanations. One is that she said that these people threatened to kill her and she was worried for her and her family's safety. The other reason she said she's embarrassed for leaving Travis and she didn't want to call police because she was worried that she'd come across as like a bad girlfriend or friend for just leaving in there to fend for himself. Right. And then again, it doesn't explain all of the injuries to Travis that she couldn't explain any of that. And her story just made no sense whatsoever. Like two people in ski masks. It's like the most cliche like story that somebody could tell about people breaking in and you know, Mm -hmm. when, why, and like the detective said, there's nothing to make me believe that this is anywhere near what really happened. And I mean, no one believed her. There was like no one on Jody's side. 
So on July 8th, 2008, Jody Arias is indicted for first degree murder. And while awaiting trial, Jody begins doing media interviews, talk, you know, and saying that she's innocent and I'll, you know, I'll prove it to you. There's no way they're going to find me guilty of this. It's absurd. The things that she says. This case was already getting a lot of publicity even before the trial started, and it took five years for them to get ready for trial and get everything you know in place. But in that time, Jody did an interview with 48 Hours and told a completely new story this time. So let's go ahead and hear that. There were two individuals walking toward us when I just heard a loud bang, and Travis was screaming. He um, was holding the gun at my forehead he pulled the trigger and nothing happened with the gun and so I just grabbed my purse and I ran down the stairs and out of there and I left him there so at that point I remember pulling over again at the Hoover Dam and I thought I'm gonna call Travis and I tried calling him and it just went to voicemail and I called him again and went to voicemail is it at all possible at all possible that that day that you were together you had a fight, you had an argument, and you just had enough? No, we didn't argue at all that day. Was he ever abusive to you in any way? He lost his temper a few times. I never felt my life was in danger. I don't believe that I'm going to be convicted. I don't think that I'm going to spend one day in prison. I know that people will look at me and say, oh, yeah, he really meant a lot to you, didn't he, by the way that you just left him there. Not only that, they think that this is a fabrication and that I was the one that murdered him. So at this point, she's still sticking to her story that she had nothing to do with it. And that it's also interesting that she says, we don't fight. You know, he could get kind of frustrated at times, but she doesn't talk about being abused at all. And that all changes by the time she gets to court. Right. It just seems like every time she's confronted with, you know, evidence against her or something that's going to challenge her story, she then spins a new story in order to, you know, recreate the narrative so that it makes her look innocent. But obviously this whole time, She's not thinking about how, you know, people are starting to realize like you're a liar. Mm -hmm. You're just making shit up as you go along in order to protect yourself. Well, she had a way of speaking where she tries to be really calm, collected, intelligent, and try to sound really logical. And it it's almost convincing, like the way that she talks. And I think she was just hoping that if I talk enough and I, you know, put enough image to people that I'm this sweet, innocent girl that they'll have to believe me. And there's no way a jury will think I did this. Yeah. And I think there's just something wrong in her head. Like she just thinks she's above everybody else and she's Mm -hmm. outsmarting everybody. It gives me some similar like Ted Bundy vibes. Like she's very smart. Yeah. She thinks she can just like, I'm not going to spend a single day in prison. Like how, how much more wrong could she possibly be? Meanwhile, there's so much evidence like her what? DNA is at the scene. Her bloody yeah. handprint is there. There's a picture there. of her there. Right. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever. I think this is why this case is so frustrating and people get so annoyed with it. It's because she obviously did it and she spent so much time trying to deny it that that's how it got so popular in the media. People were getting pissed off. Yeah, exactly. Like you did this shit. Just own up to it at least. And the fact that she's not is just driving people crazy. Mm-hmm. And obviously, when the trial began on January second, two thousand thirteen, it was televised. Oh, so yeah, dude. people Big came out spectacle. in droves mm-hmm. to watch this trial unfold. I mean, and people were watching it up until then. All these interviews. I mean, this case didn't just get popular once the trial started. People were following this from day one, waiting for her to go down, and people were angry. People were super angry. Yeah, this was definitely like a Casey Anthony level publicity 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So while she was awaiting jail, Jody was finding ways to keep herself entertained in prison. And one of those was becoming part of a Christmas singing competition in the jail for inmates. And there's video of her performing Oh Holy Night. Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night. Well, I appreciate your vote. Thank you very much. So clearly having a good old time acting like she's not awaiting trial for murder. Right, because she said she's not going to spend a day in prison. She's innocent. So when the trial finally began, the prosecution's argument was very, very clear. So the prosecutor in the case was Juan Martinez, which is the individual actually went to the scene, which, yeah, I'm not really sure why the actual prosecutor went to the scene. I know that doesn't happen all the time, but Mm -hmm. the fact that he did, I guess, really helped him get prepared for the trial. And, you know, what he saw firsthand, what the destruction was that, Jody caused. And I think it made it really personal for him in a way because he had seen the brutality of this firsthand. Absolutely. And so the prosecution was seeking the death penalty because that's what Travis's family wanted. They wanted to see Jody Arias die as a result of this. And this is his siblings mainly that were fighting for justice for him because right. his parents, you know, weren't in the picture. I'm not even sure if they were alive at this point. Mm hmm. So obviously they're going with the argument that this was premeditated murder and Jody killed Travis Alexander in cold blood. And according to his wounds, which were explained by Dr. Kevin Horn, who is a medical examiner. And he explained to the jury that Travis's stab wounds were very deep and inflicted with major force. And he said it was impossible to determine if Travis was dead before he was shot due to the amount of decomposition, because that's also the thing is like, he was stabbed, you know, 27 times. He was throat was slit and then he was shot. In which order did that happen? Right. And we have no idea. I mean, would she be the type to shoot him dead and then go back in and stab him just out of anger and fuck up his body just because she's mad? Or did she want him to suffer? And so she did it in order, stabbed him first, which that's what I think. I think she came at him with the knife first in the shower, stabbed him and then just wanted to make sure he was finished off and shot him with the gun. Right. And if you look at the evidence at the scene and everything, I think it points to to that happening. The medical examiner also said that the cause of death was excessive blood loss from the victim's body. And he said that Travis Alexander had multiple self-defense wounds to his palms and fingers, which was a huge element in the prosecution's case, Mm -hmm. because clearly that indicates that he was the one being attacked Mm -hmm. as opposed to him attacking her. And I think that shows that she stabbed him first because how could he have defended himself if he was shot in the head? Right. So clearly he was stabbed first. Yeah. And I mean, it makes more sense with what the picture evidence actually tells us, mm-hmm. right? Cause she's clearly taking pictures of him kind of like posing naked in the shower. It seems, it seems yeah. like that. I mean, it seems like that's where he was stabbed was while he was standing naked in the shower. Well, let's talk about that one picture. The last picture of him alive He's looking right at the camera. He's looking at, it looks like at her, but you can't really tell. I think personally what was going on at that moment. Was he posing? Was he trying to be sexy and kind of like mysterious or what is there fear in his eyes? Right. I can see it both ways. Like he does look a little terrified and scared. Maybe she came at him with the knife at that or showed the knife or said something and then took a picture of him and wanted to get his reaction when she first comes at him. Or maybe she had the gun to him. Yeah, she could have had. She that had as the well. gun to his head like this. And or was he just posing? And it all happens after that picture. It's hard to tell what's going on in that picture because he does kind of look like he's trying to be like seductive in the right, shower. So. Right. 
there's Personally, a lot I think of, you can't really tell. Yeah. There's a lot of speculation about exactly how it went down and how the murder happened because there is blood all over the bathroom. So mm-hmm. was, did Travis get stabbed outside of the shower and maybe she dragged him back into the shower? I think he got stabbed in the shower, man. I mean, or, that's the only thing that makes sense. Or it's just the, all of his blood from her stabbing him that gets dripped and pooled all over the bathroom because she carries it when she's done, you know? And at some point after taking that picture of him, shit goes down. And we see a series of pictures that show him, you know, on the ground. Um, And it's weird because there's all these weird pictures that don't seem like they were purposely taken. And most people think that they are accidental photos. So it's really a question of how these these accidental photos were taken. Because some people make the argument that maybe the camera dropped, that it fell on the button and just took pictures. Because some of them are from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, and they think that they're ha- all these random pictures are being taken while the murder is happening. Because the last set, you can see him dead on the ground. So it all is, it's like she documented the whole thing. You brought up the idea, Josh, of it being a timer, which I think would make a lot of sense. Maybe she figured, oh, I'll just have the camera just take pictures of this whole thing. Like She'd be that type of psycho bitch that wants pictures of herself killing him, I think. Yeah, I mean, she documented everything in her life, so why not document you know, ending this person that she couldn't be with. It, 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 it brings up the question of like motive too. like, why did she do this? Is she just that jealous or mm-hmm. if she couldn't have him, nobody could type of thing. I is that, is that what it of, was yeah. like? I think she so. wanted to be with him so bad that if she, he didn't want to reciprocate that or get married to her, like she probably wanted, then nobody was going to have him. What I don't understand though is why she took all these pictures if she was just planning to destroy or try to destroy the memory card anyway. Like, why wouldn't you take that with you? It's so weird. Yeah. So it also makes me think maybe there's a chance that they were just taking pictures and they got in a fight and she she just killed him like randomly. But I guess that doesn't really make sense because she had planned this whole trip out and showed up there unannounced and the gas cans. It seems premeditated. It seems to me that she took those pictures to document the death. But it's like, Why? Because you, you're not going to keep them anyway. I don't know, man. It's so fucking weird. So in support of the prosecution's case against Jody, they brought in Mimi Hall, which was Travis's friend and potential love interest. And they had been on a few dates. And she testified that she felt safe with Travis, that he wasn't aggressive in any way, shape, or form. The biggest piece of evidence here that the prosecution used against Jody was obviously the physical evidence at the scene as well as the state of Travis's body. They actually ended up showing all these graphic photos of Travis mm-hmm. to everybody in the courtroom. Yeah. And he these are family. very gruesome photos. So I'm sure it was very difficult for his family members to see Travis in that way. It was a lot of them like cried or had to leave. Mm-hmm. And the medical examiner testified that Travis was stabbed. Then his throat was slit and then he was shot, which obviously proves that the attack was way too excessive for it to be a self-defense type of situation, which absolutely not right. Which we'll get to that when Jody argues her third story later, the prosecution also pointed to the fact that the gun stolen from Jody's grandparents house was the same caliber of gun used to shoot Travis. And the interesting, and the interesting thing about that is that the gun was never recovered. We have no idea where the gun ever went or exactly whose gun it was, or, you know, if we were able to prove that it was the grandparents gun. Mm-hmm. So she was smart enough to take that with her and throw it out, but she mm-hmm. couldn't do the memory card. Exactly. She's an idiot. Another big piece of evidence the prosecution used was actually Jody's personal journal or diary. 
And when they went through it, they were looking for any entries about Travis being violent towards her and abusing her or anything like that. And all that they could find in the journal was how much she loved Travis and adored him and Mm -hmm. how great her life was with him. So they're going through the trial and a few days into it, it's time for Jody's defense. And this was absolutely shocking to everyone covering this, people, you know, following this. Jody got up on the stand to testify herself, which is rare and a huge risk. Oh yeah, like never happens. Right. And when she gets up there, a completely different story is told. And this time she admits that she did kill Travis Alexander, but it was in self-defense. I'm taking pictures of him. We were trying out different poses. And when I went to delete the photos, as I moved the camera, it slipped out of my hand. So what happens after you drop the camera? Travis flipped out and he stepped out of the shower and he lifted me up and he body slammed me again on the tile. I remembered where he kept a gun, so I grabbed it. He was chasing me. I turned around and we were in the middle of the bathroom. I pointed it at him with both of my hands. I thought that would stop him, but he just kept running. I didn't even think I was holding the trigger. I just was pointing it at him. And I didn't even know that I shot him. It just went off. And after I broke away from him, he he said, kill you, bitch. Once you broke away from him, what do you remember? Almost nothing. Do you remember stabbing Travis Alexander? I have no memory of stabbing him. Do you remember dragging him across the floor? Oh, and I just remember screaming. I don't remember anything after that. So obviously that's a big change of events here, according to her. Again, it's just her, you know, realizing that her last story has Mm -hmm. been debunked pretty much. Mm -hmm. So let me come up with a new one here. I would love to have been in the room with her defense team when they tried to figure out how they were going to spin this story because they must have been like, how are we going to argue self-defense when she has no wounds to her own body? There was clearly no fight happening. I think that's why they came up with the idea of, okay, he picks her up and body slams her onto the floor because there'd be no physical evidence of that happening. And then they must have been like, okay, well after, you know, you, shot him you have to just black out because we, there's no fucking way we can explain the 27 stabbings and the throat slitting yeah it was doesn't make any sense major stretch like yeah. and i think the defense probably knew that this was mm-hmm. a shot in the dark to oh, try to did. get this they did and dude it. they were having a really hard time with her her main defense attorney was like to the point where he he tried to get off the case and the judge said no and would not let him leave the case but he said all the meetings with her were so manipulated that she treated him like absolute shit that she sometimes tried to seduce him, which I believe very Casey Anthony, right? Yeah. Like with Jose bias and everything. And he said that it was just an absolute nightmare working with her. And he wrote a whole book about how terrible it was trying to defend her. And God, it must be hard to defend someone like Jody. And I always get so mad at defense attorneys. I understand it's their job, but like part of me is like, you scumbag, how can you defend her? How can you lie? Like, you know, these are lies, but it's their job. I understand that. Yeah. And we do need defense attorneys, but someone has to do it. Right. Right. Someone's got to do it. And it doesn't make the defense attorney a bad person. I mean, they're just doing their job to try to help their client out. And I think you probably knew that. Well, 
that's a different story. But I think her defense attorney knew that this was likely not going to end well for her Mm because come on. I mean, in what self-defense scenario, you know, I can understand maybe shooting Travis, but then to go and slit his throat like she did. Maybe if she had one injury, like a knife wound or something, they could have been like, then he did this. Oh yeah. She then tries to show that she has this injury on her finger, which it literally looks like she's just holding her finger up when she shows it. She like shows it in court. She's like, this is my finger from him. He's so, so abusive. He just smashed my finger. So, so you stabbed him 27 times, shot him and slit his throat. The fuck? This girl is insane if she thinks anyone is going to believe this. No, and, and the prosecution basically debunked every claim she put forward. I yeah. mean, the the claim about her finger, they found a picture like shortly after the murder and, and she had funny. her arm around somebody and her finger was completely fine. Yeah, she's it wasn't like holding all like, it like crooked that. out of... Sh- uh, or maybe you know, she broke it in jail. I could see her doing something on purpose crazy or something. like that. Absolutely. Yeah, they. I think when they you know, going into this, her defense team knew there's no way we're going to get her off. This cannot be fucking explained. Their job was to keep her from getting the death penalty because that's what Travis's family wanted. Right. But also I think, you know, they were getting really desperate at this point Mm -hmm. and Jody was, you know, willing to do anything that she needed to do in order to, Mm -hmm. you know, make this end well for her. And And that means even dragging Travis through the mud after he's already dead. I mean, complete character assassination pretty mm-hmm. much. So Jody claims that Travis was physically and emotionally abusive. And not only that, she also claimed that he was a fucking pedophile, which is just wow. And he's already gone. So he can't even defend himself. That's really fucked up. man. Yeah. I mean, he, I don't know if it's true. There's some weird shit. We'll go through it, but it doesn't, in all in any way no yeah he didn't deserve to die right and the proof that they showed in in, during the trial was they played some really graphic audio of Mm -hmm. travis and her having sex like phone sex Mm -hmm. oh it was so awkward they played it in front of the whole court and she did like sit up there can you imagine listening to yourself like it was pretty graphic like moaning and and then at one point he says oh you just sounded like a 12 year old girl having her first orgasm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty fucking creepy. Yeah. Very creepy. Cause how would he know what a 12 year old girl having an orgasm right. sounds like? Right. Or was that just an expression that he used? Because mm-hmm. I don't know, but still at the same time, I, That's I understand weird. why people question that. Cause that is a weird thing to say. Yeah. But the, just because you're, you know, creepy like that doesn't mean you can murder someone. Uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with this. Plus, that is the only proof. We don't know if he's a full-on pedophile. There's no proof of that. He said something creepy, but there's not proof of him, you know, engaging and actually acting on it. There was a claim, though, that I saw that was very weird. I was confused about it, that at one point that they may have found child porn on his computer. Well, she claimed that. Yeah. yeah she claimed there was child porn on his computer. She and found it. The defense claimed that, like, the prosecution deleted it or something or mm-hmm. it got wiped or something. Yeah, I mean, again, no proof. But, so, yeah, nothing to back that up. I just feel really bad making assumptions about people or just assuming they're pedophiles based on Jody's story. Like, she's the last person in the world I'm going to believe. So, I don't know what I think about that. Yeah, and, and she really used their sexual relationship against him mm-hmm. in court and really made it seem like he was just this... You know, sex predator type individual. Like they even told the story about how after uh, it was either her baptism or like church or something like she was wearing a skirt and Mm -hmm. she came home when 
he was like basically forced anal sex on her and stuff like just yeah, she said that graphic crazy stuff anything that she could say to make him look like an abusive predatorial type yeah person. accusing him of rape pretty much mm-hmm. so that makes no sense when you know months before this or i guess years at this point she was saying that he's not abusive that they've never they don't even fight like come on and then now you're completely changing it this just makes no sense what's crazy about this case though is that when jody did take the witness stand she was on the stand for 18 days straight isn't that crazy that's insane like that doesn't happen can you imagine if casey anthony got up on the stand no maybe we have gotten the truth out of it maybe that's why they didn't put her up there exactly but I'm sure it was her that was like, let me go up yeah, and I'll, I'll persuade everybody. I think they kind of were like, this is so hopeless that might as well. Might as well just let her do what she wants to do. Yeah. But she just describes all this emotional and mental abuse she goes through with Travis and that Mm. it all sort of got to a point where it was too much to handle. And then she just snapped on him. And then obviously him body slamming her just like completely sent her over the top. And then that's why she attacked him and killed him. And she claims that she used his gun from his closet. And that like that's her first reaction. He body slams her and she gets up and runs and gets the gun. And then they're chasing around the bathroom and just isn't making any sense. But then again, after defending yourself and shooting him, you then proceed to get a knife and (laughs) stab him repeatedly and slit his throat. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Right. But obviously, like no matter how much Jody tried to spin her story, the jury was very inquisitive and found a ton of problems with it and hiccups and errors in her story. But of course, during all of this, Jody is still confident and doesn't think that she will be convicted, even though she's been making all these mistakes throughout the trial and they're constantly pointing out, you know, issues in her story. It's just not adding up. Right. And that she thinks that the jury's going to believe her story that she just like blacked out during the stabbing portion of, of the attack and everything like that. And of course the fact that she had already changed her story three times, the jury knows that. Mm -hmm. So that makes no sense. So after about four months of trial and hearing just hours and hours of testimony, I mean, there's so many things that were said and accusations that were made and actually the whole trial is on YouTube. The whole entire Mm -hmm. thing is. So if you want to watch through it, you can hear all the crazy things that she said. I mean, they were pulling out all the stops to try it, to make it seem like Travis was this horrible guy and that she just defended herself. She was like this, you know, defenseless woman Mm -hmm. that, you know, got attacked and she had to protect herself. She started trying to make herself seem like a victim of domestic violence. Absolutely. One thing that I found was really interesting was how annoyed and aggressive Jody would get towards people who were examining her. Yeah. There was multiple times during the trial where, Juan Martinez, the prosecutor, was really going at her with mm-hmm. questions and really trying to poke holes. But Jody really like held her own on the stand, and she would just say annoying things to him, and he get like legitimately pissed yeah. off because she would skirt around every question and be like, "What do you mean by that? Yeah. What do you mean?" And like, well, what he was really trying to get at her for too was, "How did you possibly just black out and not remember, not remember any of this? I mean, that just makes no sense." Yeah. So he was trying to be like, well, why doesn't your memory work? And what do you mean? And she's like, well, when men are like you are yelling at me, sometimes my memory shuts down. Like she started trying to act like she was being abused by him as well. Like she's just this poor girl. And the way she dressed for trial, she had like librarian glasses on. Her hair was different. It was like her natural color. Full librarian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She tried to look. She dyed her hair brown before she even did this. She did. Yeah. Yeah. She knew. 
She had a plan. Mm-hmm. It's so obvious she had and a plan. And she, I mean, her story, she says that she dyed her hair brown because that's her natural hair color. I mean, it's not dyed. It's it's her natural color. Yeah. But she said she did that because they don't sell Clairol in jail. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but I don't know. If you... If that's the reason why, then why did you do it before this even happened? It makes no seriously, sense. Seriously. Yeah, especially if you're convinced you're never going to spend a day in jail yeah. or in prison. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like she was very much planning this out way in advance. She thinks she's very smart, but she's really not. That's the thing about Jody is she constantly contradicts herself and says stupid ass shit that makes no sense. But she thinks she's so smart right. and so intelligent that she can just fool everybody. Yeah, exactly. Like for every smart move she makes, there's 10 dumb ones yeah, that follow exactly. it and completely erase the smart one. Yeah, she's an idiot, dude. So once the trial concluded and, you know, closing arguments were heard by the prosecution and defense, the jury went back to deliberate and they ended up deliberating for four days. And when they came back, the jury was split on premeditation. Yeah, that was the big element, you know, whether or not she planned this out or if it was just a spur of the moment thing. Right. So and here is the verdict from May 8th, 2013. The state of Arizona versus Jody Ann Arias verdict count one. We, the jury, duly impaneled and sworn in the above entitled action upon our oaths do find the defendant as to count one first degree murder guilty. Five jurors find premeditated, zero find felony murder, Seven fine, both premeditated and felony. Signed, four person. Is this your true verdict? So say you want it all. So her face looks pretty she shocked. Was shocked. Yeah. yeah, absolutely shocked. She got convicted of first degree murder. She thought there's no way in hell. Maybe I'll get manslaughter. Mm-hmm. That was kind of what they were hoping for was to get manslaughter, which would obviously reduce her sentence. And she may not even get, you know, life in prison if they found her guilty of like manslaughter or something like that. But obviously everybody was extremely happy that she was found guilty of first degree murder. There was a huge crowd outside of the courthouse. Everybody's mm-hmm. going crazy. So after court ends for the day, um, Jody actually did an interview with an ABC interviewer. And this guy is so great. He's such a savage to her. Like, I love this interview. You said today you want to give Travis's family closure. You know, they want you dead. So why don't you give them that closure? What do you mean by that? Why don't I kill myself? Is that what you're asking? No, why don't you accept the fate of the death penalty if you know that's what they want? If you truly care about their closure? I've caused them a lot of pain. I've caused my family a lot of pain. And I think that by asking for death, I'm only going to cause more pain to my family. Why didn't you apologize to them? I did apologize to them. You never said, I'm sorry. I said that I said that I'm sorry, that I'll never be able to make up for what I did. And that I can never replace their loss. But you didn't use the word I'm sorry. Well, then I'm sorry I didn't say that because certainly I am sorry. I think in a sense, I, the, the words I'm sorry just seem meaningless, especially since nobody believes what I'm saying anyway. You said it right there. No one believes a word out of your mouth. Why do you keep talking? Because I know that I'm not just I've lied before. That doesn't mean that I'm a liar by definition, by character. To a lot of people, they think this switch from I want to die to now I want to live is just another lie from Jody Arias. I don't know what that means. Was I lying when I said I want to die or was I lying when I say, please spare my life? You know, um, whatever happens, I'm just going to take it and deal with it. You've said that sort of thing a lot before, including right after you were arrested. You said, my goodness, if I did something this horrible to Travis, I would beg for the death penalty. Right. You did it. So what changed? My family changed. No one from your family got up to say anything nice about you when you were facing the possibility of the death penalty. 
Well, that was a defense decision, and one that I was somewhat in agreement with. My mother wanted to. She had a letter written out that she wanted to read, and my dad was fired up. He wanted to talk, and my defense team didn't call either of them. But the impact of that is that you've lived on this planet for 32 years, and you have no one other than yourself to come up and vouch for your character as a person when you're facing death. Well, I did have people, and they were not called. But you know, no one believes you, right? That's not true. Maybe a majority of people don't, but I know plenty of people that believe me. I didn't know that you were a hater when you came to interview me. I didn't know you were a hater when you came to interview me. That's a good interviewer right there, isn't he? I know. I like his ass. Gets to the truth. So. Obviously, she changed her stance from wanting to get the death penalty to not wanting to get the death penalty. So in court, she gets to stand up and tell the court and the jury why she thinks that she deserves to live. Yeah, because her Travis's family again wants her to get the death penalty, but you know she's pleading for her life at this point. And she starts talking about how she could be useful in prison, how she can help other women learn to read. Um, she wants to start a recycling program in the jail, and she talks about this is so funny to me. She acts like she's this big hero because she's cut her hair twice for locks of love. Yeah, like she's like, oh, I've and I've in my time in jail, I've grown my hair out and cut it off twice and donated it to locks of love. Yeah, she's not even a good organization, by the way. And then it was absolutely bizarre when she brings out a T-shirt that says "Survivor" on yeah. it, and that you can buy it to help yeah. support charities that you know, support women that are victims of domestic abuse. Like I've never seen that shit. And I'm so confused about how she was even planning on doing that. Like she just whips out this t-shirt. Like you've been in jail. What you have a t-shirt press in there or I guess someone made it for her and like gave it to her to show. And so she's going to try to, so she's clearly trying to show the jury that poor me, I'm a victim. Right. Like she's trying to pull at the heartstrings and be like, I can help other women of domestic violence. And it's like, you're just dragging Travis in the process. It's just like you could get up there It and is. say sorry and try to show that you've learned and have, you know, you have some remorse, but his family's just sitting in the courtroom watching like you bitch, like dragging him around like this and trying to make yourself seem like the victim. Yeah. You are not the victim. Yeah. Like are you fucking kidding me? I'd be so pissed if I, I was Travis's family. Oh, they were. They were in, just infuriated. Because literally three days later after this, the jury went back to deliberate on her sentencing. But when they returned from voting on whether or not Jody would get the death penalty or not, in order for that to happen, it had to be a unanimous vote. Yes. And they came back eight votes for death and four for life in prison. And because of this, a mistrial was declared, which is crazy, at least for this portion right. of the trial. The sentencing, it wasn't for the entire trial, which would have been horrible if yeah, it was the oh whole my trial. God. Oh my God. I can't imagine that happening. So in February of 2014, the court resumed and they tried the same proceedings from May of 2013. So this is a whole year later. And on February 25th, 2014, the court concluded and the jury was hung once again. This time it was 11 for death and one holdout for life. And it doesn't matter. Mistrial was declared. And actually in the state of Arizona, you can only do trial twice for death penalty. So now they had to sentence her to life in prison. Right. Was it was no up option. to the judge yep. instead of the jury, which I'm like, that one person really? Yeah. Like, can you imagine being that one juror that's on their own island? Like, no, knowing that yeah. it's going to cause another mistrial. Well, I mean, it's hard when someone's life is in your hands. I can see how it would be a difficult decision for someone to think like I could be the reason why they die. And, you know, some people just feel like it's not 
right for sure. us to decide whether or not someone lives or dies. That's something for a higher power to decide in a way, you know? Yeah. So it could be spiritual for them or who knows, but yeah, isn't that interesting? I can't imagine being that one jury person. I mean, everyone else on the team must have been like, dude. Yeah, I know. Seriously. <laughs> and Jody's attorneys actually filed a motion to dismiss all of her charges, alleging that there had been misconduct in the trial. The actual motion said that a computer forensic expert hired by the defense discovered that thousands of files, mostly of child porn, were deleted from Travis Alexander's computer while the computer was in custody of Mesa Police Department, which that actually did not end up doing anything. I got thrown out because there was no evidence of no this. It, this was just a one last shot in the dark yeah. to try to get a reduced sentence for mm -hmm. her. So finally, on April 13th, 2015, this took so fucking long. Judge Stevens sentenced Jody to her natural life in prison with no possibility of parole. And she went to spend the rest of her life in Perryville prison for women in Arizona, which is a high security, like max prison. Mm -hmm. And she is, I believe in solitary confinement in an 86 square foot cell. Mm -hmm. And she does art there and honestly doesn't even seem that bummed out to be in jail there. And that's what kind of pisses me off about it. And that's where I go back and forth with the death penalty mm -hmm. is like sometimes the death penalty is the easier way out. But then again, some people like her still like find a way to be happy and thrive mm -hmm. in prison. And that's what it seems like she's doing now. So she had two years in max custody and then moved to closed custody where she could have a cellmate and interact with the other inmates. And she states that she is greatly harassed by the other women in the jail. Pff, no shit. You deserve it. At one point, someone had called her to talk to her, I'm guessing like a friend or something, and she asked them to tweet out to the world that she has no hot water in jail. So she still feels bad for herself. Yeah, absolutely. Still playing that victim card. Mm -hmm. And in 2017, she filed a civil lawsuit against her defense team, stating that they disclosed private information for financial gain in a tell-all book that was published about the case. And what's also interesting is that Juan Martinez, the prosecutor in the case, ended up being terminated from the Maricopa County Attorney's Office in 2020 following a 2018 scandal in which he was accused of inappropriate conduct towards female clerks. Of course, Jody used this as a reason to go ahead and appeal her sentence, stating that, you know, he had the same misconduct against her. But this was upheld in March of 2020. And in another interview, she said that the prison sentence to spend her whole life in prison was actually worse than the death sentence. Um, she said that if she could kill herself, that she would. She said it's been pretty terrible for her in there. Yeah, and once the media released this information, the prison officials put her on suicide watch, yeah. of course. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's interesting that now she flip-flopped again. You mm -hmm. know, like now she would rather die than be in prison. She always does. She just doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. And, oh, God. I think she is right where she needs to be. Oh, absolutely. But Jody Arias is exactly where she needs to be. She will spend the rest of her life in prison thinking about what she has done. And luckily there was justice for Travis Alexander in the end. Of course, our thoughts go out to everyone who suffered during this, everyone who lost Travis. He seemed like he was very loved and people really looked up to him in a lot of ways. And it's sad that his, his reputation was so tarnished at the end. Absolutely. In her favor. In such a public way, too. Yeah, this is all over the internet really now. No proof. And yeah. yeah. But let us know what you guys think, uh, what you think of Jody's behavior, her changing her stories. Let us know if you think that she could, let us know if you think she should have gotten life in prison 
or the death penalty and why I'm curious, but that is it for us this week. You guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to give it a thumbs up. If you did make sure to check out that merch drop at milehire.com. Those items will only be available for a little while longer and check out lights out. Yes. Definitely check another out podcast. Lights out. Would love for you to check out my new show. Absolutely. But we'll go ahead and end it there. Don't forget to always take your mind a mile higher and we will see you next time. <laughs>